Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, the monthly podcast series brought to you by the team that produce Global Cosmetics News. With wellness at the top of consumer mind in a post-COVID world, CBD Beauty's global growth potential is likely to accelerate. But how does the newly legalized ingredient manage the growing pains of oversupply, consumer perception, regulation, efficacy, and standardization? To help me answer these questions and more, it is my pleasure to introduce this month's panel. Hello to Stephen Murphy, co-founder at Prohibition Partners, Alexis Abraham, CEO of Cellular Goods, Alexa Blake, Head of R&D at Cellular Goods, and Mallory Huron, Beauty Editor at Fashion Snoops. Stephen, let's start with you. From a cannabis industry point of view, what are the main social drivers propelling CBD beauty into the spotlight? What we find, you know, when working in cannabis is that it is an exceptionally universal uh, plant and, and substance in terms of how it can be utilized. And the cosmetic industry is certainly um, identified the potential of the plant from a dermatological perspective, but also from a, a marketing and sales and differentiation perspective as well. So cosmetic and, and beauty brands move from their association with cannabis as being just you know, a, a, a small ingredient to actually coming out with products exclusively designed for, uh, for CBD and, and, you know, with, with other ingredients playing, playing in the background. I think the, the perception has certainly changed from a, from a consumer narrative that cannabis is now something that holds is significant value and it is that understanding that certainly for 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 cannabis companies that the their their product and their material is 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 of value to this new market that you know is is maybe different to what they are currently uh, providing product for too and Alexis, for cellular goods as a new entry into the beauty market, what are the social drivers um, pushing you forward? I think one of the key things we've seen, and I definitely echo um, what we just heard, you know, the macro consumer trend, especially following COVID, is wellness and self-care. And it's wellness and self-care addressing every aspect and angle of the body. Um, and of course, the skin is the largest organ and one that we are all looking to take care of as much as we can. Um, clearly, cannabinoids hold enormous potential. We believe they could well prove to be the king of wellness ingredients, whether that's in a topical or ingestible format. And something else which I think is, is um, exciting to see is that cannabinoids have the potential to be a surprisingly affordable and impactful wellness intervention in people's everyday lives um, as the industry develops and as um, cannabinoids are available in different ways. You know, for example, we source ours through a biosynthetic process, which is substantially different to perhaps the one that most people are familiar with. And Alexia will, I'm sure, go into some more detail around that. But really, it's the um, the substantial growth in awareness and also the move from simply being vaguely aware of cannabis to being aware of CBD, and then that moving into the full spectrum of cannabinoids. And how is this affecting the R&D process, Alexa? Well, I think there's a few things to consider um, on this front. As Alexis mentioned, we did see 
that wellness became very much a front and center concern for, for people last year during the pandemic. But I think the other interesting trend is the, uh, you know, the emergence or the acceleration of the informed consumer. We know that consumers were spending more time at home last year. They were also likely spending more time in front of their screens, given the shift to working from home and spending really more time thinking about what they're putting in or on their body. What we've seen is that consumers have this detailed interest in understanding their formulas, in understanding what are the active ingredients, how do they work, what kind of benefits can they provide, and what kind of clinicals or data has been generated to support the claims being made. What this means is that the skincare markets to an extent more than ever is driven by ingredients and driven by benefits. And so through this lens, it's not surprising that consumers are showing interest in CBD and other cannabinoids as active skincare ingredients, given that as an ingredient, these compounds are traditionally plant-derived or produced by nature. And that in terms of the benefits they can provide, cannabinoids are these multifunctional powerhouse ingredients that can deliver a range of, of effects, whether that be uh, anti-inflammation, antioxidant defense, as well as antibacterial effects. These are by and large the benefits that consumers are seeking out in other skincare products, considering what we know today about the link between inflammation and cellular aging, as an example, or the prevalence of irritation and skin barrier disruption caused by the overuse of other popular active skincare ingredients, whether that be alpha or beta hydroxy acids, even vitamin C and retinol, as well as what we know about how antioxidants can protect skin from UV to prevent premature aging and address hyperpigmentation. So really we're seeing this alignment between consumers' needs and interests and the benefits that cannabinoids as active skincare ingredients can bring into their lives. And from a beauty industry perspective, Mallory? Well, socially, I think we're in an interesting place with CBD in the beauty world in that we seemingly have two distinct consumer groups who share one thing in common. On one hand, you have sophisticated beauty consumers and beauty insiders for whom the novelty of CBD has worn off a bit because it's taken over the market and beauty consumers have become slightly distrustful of all the claims. Now, on the other hand, outside of more sophisticated beauty consumers and industry insiders, we have a sizable chunk of everyday consumers for whom CBD is still a very novel beauty concept. And anecdotally, you still have these misconceptions like, does it contain THC? Is it mind altering, et cetera? But the really interesting thing that unites these two groups is what Alexa was just speaking to in terms of the educated consumer and that they both really want transparency and education and with more facts, more insight, uh, previously jaded and mistrustful consumers can feel more confident exploring the now vast world of CBD. So it really behooves CBD beauty brands to put education and transparency front and center. So talking about transparency, Stephen, what are the digital drivers helping the cannabis industry's global growth? You've got less of a barrier for products coming on market. And for something like cannabis, you know, regardless of regardless of legality or, or compliance 
when you mention cannabis in any sentence, it is going to be held up to stricter compliance, uh, just uh, as protocol. So, you know, the, the, the process, the traditional process of distribution through retailers um, is going to be is going to be long winded. So I think the fact that you have this direct to consumer channel that new brands can uh, can leverage has certainly helped accelerate growth in the ma- in, in in the market and helped i suppose broaden consumer standing because there's a wider platform for education about the market and you you've got brands who are now competing not just on not just to provide um just provide credible products, but also uh, product experience. So it's 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 helped accelerate it's helped accelerate competition, which is ultimately good for the consumer. I do think that you know there's obviously an, a negative to that as well, which is 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 compliance and regulation, and understanding what products are on the market and how they have been certified. I think because there is newer channels. You don't have you don't have products, or sorry, you don't have the same level of consumer protection on those digital platforms that you would have in traditional retail. So you know there's there's pros and cons, but I do think consumers are getting um, are getting better quality information and certainly a wider portal of information to as to what the products are containing through digital channels so whether that is direct to consumer from brands or new um new e-commerce platforms specializing like you know cult for instance cult beauty has been in on cannabis for the last three years and has been informing and educating educating their audience as to not just the, the the benefits of the plant, but you know how it works from a formulation perspective, uh, bioavailability, and uh, different product formats with, within the space. And will digital play a large part in cellular goods launch, Alexis? Yeah, I would absolutely echo um, a lot of what we just heard. You know, clearly um, some of the big themes we're seeing are story commerce and social commerce. Social media is clearly an enormous uh, emerging, for some people, very well-emerged platform for discovery, and it's driving a huge amount of awareness around new brands. But more than that, it's also driving understanding of product use, of potential benefits. Um, And I think there's this general feeling that we get, which is that it's cool to be informed and consumers are going out there and they're spending more and more time. And I'm sure the pandemic has been up to a point part of this, but I think it's something that will absolutely endure. Um, They're taking their time to really get to know brands, to get to know ingredients and to be abreast of new developments like the emergence of CBD and cannabinoid wellness. And how does the digital benefits affect the R&D process, Alexa? Well, you know, I think given this shift to online shopping and online learning or product research, this has created an opportunity for brands to engage with their consumers via a variety of online tools and platforms to further communicate what kind of testing they're conducting for their products, the kind of research that's going into their development, as well as collecting feedback from consumers with respect to how they like the product, whether that's from a sensorial perspective or in terms of the benefits that they're experiencing or or not experiencing, um, as well as how they're interacting with the product depending on the packaging, the use case, et cetera. So it's really opened the door to better communication, better engagement with the consumer. And I think it's it's really an excellent opportunity 
opportunity for, for brands to, to leverage to learn more about how they can better service their, their consumer base. Um, touching on a point that Mallory shared though as well around education, um, I think that's a really big piece of the story, especially with cannabinoids, uh, including CBD, because as much as you know, the, the information available online is wonderful, and as much as I think that being informed is one of the most powerful things a consumer can do before deciding to part with their money or introduce a new product into their lifestyle, I think there's this simultaneous effect of the information online being almost overwhelming. Uh, to the point where it might create confusion, especially in the CBD and the broader cannabinoid space. There's many terms being thrown around that consumers may not understand because these terms are not being properly defined or given context, or because they're potentially reading about these products via beauty bloggers' websites who themselves may not fully appreciate the complexity of the cannabinoid world. And two examples that come to mind are this claim around THC-free, and what that actually means, as well as the attention being given to what type of cannabinoid extract is used in a product, whether that's whole plant extract, broad spectrum, distillate, or isolate. And for the beauty industry, Mallory, how are they educating the consumer via digital channels? Well, I really think the digital space has proven a powerful ally for CBD brands, and specifically TikTok, has become so dynamic for CBD beauty education and to dispel misinformation. We've already seen thousands of accounts pop up like CBD Beauty Queen or the very popular Fitty Shades of Green, who use fun short form videos to review CBD beauty products, educate viewers on what CBD does, and also importantly, what CBD doesn't do, which I think is a big part of this conversation. And, you know, TikTok is an immense untapped resource that requires very little finesse and effort for maximum reward, despite having to deal with those negative um, app regulations uh, revolving around CBD content. There's a goldmine of opportunity here. I recently read a Forbes article about how CBD brand Cannabombs experienced a $25,000 spike after in sales after posting their first TikTok, which every CBD brand can't expect that same level of success, but it's certainly worth a try. And Stephen, what are the environmental drivers helping the global cannabis industry's expansion? You've got a, a move towards sustainability, you know, in terms of all obviously all aspects, all aspects of the supply chain. But there's there's always been a, a, a significant move or demand from consumers for natural based ingredients doesn't mean that it's naturally you know that it is naturally sourced it could be done from an isolate you know there's products that are done synthetically there are products that aren't so sustainably manufactured i i think i think you're 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 finding um strong brands um managed with very good transparency and very good governance and you as a consumer, you know, there's always going to be those companies that have a huge spike, but they, they trail off. Like there's always, there's always noise and no brand is sustainable if it lives on noise. And no company is sustainable if it lives on noise. So, you know, those companies and brands who we're seeing in the CBD beauty space or cannabis beauty space have been exceptionally uh, transparent with formulation with their supply chain with the results relating to um re relating to the r d of their products and the trials of their products is 
the, they are kind of claiming benefits from and of course as to how the company is is run itself so it goes beyond just the it goes beyond just the sustainability of of the raw materials looking as the holistic view of the company and um, and 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 how those products are treated just like just like you would do you know as consumers are now looking at their full um their full um purchasing purchasing behavior of 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 of, of any category and for cellular goods, Alexis, is the environment a message that you're going to promote? Oh, absolutely. And and Stephen touched on something really important there for us, um, because like all novel ingredients that break through, at some point, the conversation always moves to how sustainable is that ingredient at scale if there is broad consumer adoption. And this is one of the big drivers for us in terms of being the first and leading proponent of biosynthesis um, in skincare in the UK. And it's a process that we've discovered as part of our navigation of the regulatory framework um, for the listing process. But the more we learned about it, the more amazed we really were and how this is just a cleaner, greener and faster way to access the raw materials that we will need at very large scale. So does that the environmental effect the R&D process, Alexa? Uh, absolutely. I mean, as, as Alexis mentioned, this ecological impact and our footprint is something that we've kept in mind since day one. And it's something that we're continuously evaluating across all of our different activities, um, including our supply chain, the type of packaging that we're working with as well, how, how the other ingredients that we're working with are produced. But I think for us, when we started looking at biosynthesis as a new method of cannabinoid production, one thing that really resonated with us is the sustainability of this technology. When we look at metrics like water consumption or CO2 emissions, uh, waste production, even pesticide use, we've seen that biosynthesis can be a much more environmentally friendly process when compared to traditional agriculture. So to us, biosynthesis was really a solution for accessing raw materials that are produced in a much more sustainable and ecologically conscious manner. And the beauty industry's take on the environment and CBD, Mallory? Well, I think this is a space where CBD can gain traction as a sustainability go-to for eco-conscious beauty consumers. Uh, just to touch on what Alexa just mentioned, we know so many of the great sustainability benefits of hemp crops, for example, using less water, the fact that it removes toxins from the soil. It's very hardy. It helps stabilize the soil around them. But we're also seeing other sustainability trends interacting with CBD and beauty. The FS Beauty team loves the example of the brand Empiri, for example, whose founder, Jennifer Grant, uses upcycled cannabis root as a basis for her skincare line, which is a really clever way to blend the sustainability upcycling trend with smarter beauty solutions. And Stephen, what are the government governmental drivers aiding the global cannabis industry's growth? I think the fact that the genie is at the bottle in relation to demand for cannabis and cannabis acceptance and adoption, you know, when when you look at when you look at uh, four years ago, nine countries around the world having le legal access to, to to cannabis. Today, there's fifty. There's just over fifty. I think they are very much wanting to um, to be in a position where they can 
one, you know, provide expertise and and provide comfort to businesses engaging in the service, but also to not be seen as archaic uh, in 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 a global context. So you have you have you know you have important global bodies such as the World Health Organization and the European Union who have and you know and 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 the FDA of course who have been providing updates regarding uh, compliance and regulatory overviews um significantly you know that coming um from World Health Organization classification last year um but you have these bodies who are providing greater context in terms of what is compliant and what is not compliant, which means individual countries can leverage and utilize that guidance. Because, you know, when you have an individual nation trying to regulate on its own, it can be exceptionally difficult. So having those, having those centralized bodies who can provide, um, who can provide the, the overview and regulatory guidance for all of these nations, is going to be, it's going to be essential. So they are very much, you know, we've seen a significant engagement from regulatory bodies around the control of these goods. But, you know, innovation happens within cannabis uh, very, very quickly. You know, last few years ago, it was all about synthetics. Now it's now we're talking biosynthesis. We're, we're, we're constantly changing the formulation uh, uh, formulation and and certainly production innovation innovation around production within cannabis. So trying to regulate around that is, is, is a constant struggle. But I do think, I do think, you know, compared to where we were four years ago, um, companies and certainly consumers have a lot more, a lot more protection. And for you, Alexis. I would absolutely pick up on that. I mean, we're seeing a virtuous feedback loop between this growing and actually exponentially increasing consumer interest, the increased studies and hard scientific data, which is validating the wealth of anecdotal claims. And that in turn is putting pressure on industry and government to further clarify the regulatory framework. I think in the UK, we have one of the clearer regulatory frameworks, and that's why it's a great place to operate. London is fast becoming a a very significant hub for cannabis and cannabinoid companies. Uh, And especially for us um, as a recently um, listed company, the one-off tax breaks announced by the Chancellor on top of the existing generous R&D tax credit system is making the UK a very attractive place to operate in this space. And what are the challenges for R&D, Alexa? Well, I think as both Stephen and Alexa said, there's certainly been an exponential increase in cannabinoid research over the last 10 years. For example, if we look at the number of publications uh, year on year, we see that there's just been an explosion in the activity around how scientists are trying to understand the utility, the, the mechanism of action, as well as the safety of these ingredients for a range of applications. Um, but I think one of the challenges right now is that, you know, it's a very dynamic regulatory landscape. And as Stephen mentioned, cats out of the bag, Pandora's box has been opened in the sense that cannabinoids are here to stay. And so this has, to an extent, put pressure on authorities to figure out how to best regulate these ingredients and their finished products. And what we're seeing around the world is sort of a a mixed response, I think, to an extent where certain regions are trying to fit cannabinoids or accommodate them into pre-existing regulations, such as in the UK. And that's certainly 
opens the door uh, and simplifies the, the, the extent to which or the means by which research can be conducted. Whereas in other markets, uh, such as Canada, we're seeing the regulators create entirely new frameworks for cannabinoid products. And that can sometimes uh, be somewhat burdensome, burdensome in terms of the, the type of research that can be done uh, sorry, that can be conducted, and the, the processes that researchers need to go through in order to conduct that research. Ultimately, I think it would be helpful if international regulations were harmonized, since this would bring a lot of clarity to the market around a range, a range of activities, um, whether that be research or manufacturing, distribution, testing, and even marketing. And would that ever be the case that the global industry could harmonize on a, a regulation, Mallory? Well, I would hope so. Certainly, we're seeing a slow but steady and intriguing process um, that is affecting CBD uh, beauty brands across the world. The U.S. House of Representative, Representatives, of course, recently passed uh, an important bill decriminalizing marijuana, and the U.S. is moving steadily towards nationwide decriminalization, which was also a hot topic among progressives during the 2020 U.S. presidential campaign. Elsewhere, I just saw the other day that Mexico recently approved a bill to legalize recreational marijuana, which will surely have an impact on CBD production within the beauty space. But, you know, what really intrigues me is CBD's growth in China. Ever since China legalized the use of hemp leaf extract uh, in 2015, I believe, the amount of request to use cannabis leaf extract as a product ingredient in beauty has just con continuously grown year after year. This February, a CBD face mask was featured in a live streaming session, which resulted in more than 25,000 facial masks sold out overnight, which I just think shows how this is really a product that's resonating with consumers across beauty markets, and that when given proper education about what the ingredient does, uh, it can really push governments to uh, rethink their oversight and regulation to, to support this industry. And finally, Stephen, what could, should the cannabis industry look like in 12 months' time? There's going to be a, a watering down in the demand for CBD just because, just because there's been no control in the supply chain and, and consumers' trust has been damaged by, uh, by lack of adherence to the set compliance and lack of enforcement, I would say. Um, and so you're definitely going to see uh, somewhat of a, a watering down of the second rate um, CBD, CBD and, and, and cannabis market. However, you know, what, what we would expect is with the emergence of fresh capital and probably better traditional talent and managements that have come from the world of cosmetics, come from the world from CBG, come from the world of of pharma, um, you know, to bring that type of skill set and discipline with them when it comes to when it comes to the cannabis sector. So I do think we'll see a maturity in the in, in cannabis products, and that maturity will certainly enhance the distribution potential for cannabis related products or over the counter products in terms of where they can be acquired, because that is remains a, a challenge for companies who want to distribute distribute their products channels available to them seem to be pretty limited just because of they deal with the nasty business of cannabis and for cellular goods alexis 12 months time 
What does the I future think look like? I would pick up on on two points that were just made there again, really, which is that um, there's clearly a maturation of the industry, and um, you know we mentioned a watering down, perhaps more of a weeding out. The stage is set for the long anticipated emergence of dominant brands of go-to names that consumers can trust, um, and that trust having been earned through the quality of their products, the depth of their engagement with the consumers, and also the scope of their educational outreach. Um, I think we're also going to see some degree of M&A activity in the sector. That feels to me like a bit of an inevitability. Um, and in terms of what it um, should look like, I would like to see, um, again, picking up on one of the points Stephen made, um, increasing and easier access to all of the ancillary services that properly run mature businesses need. Um, even today, for a London Stock Exchange listed company like ourselves, it has been uh, there's been an enormous amount of red tape around things as simple as payment processing due to what you know we all regard as often rather outdated views that many of these big corporations have of the cannabinoid industry and um, their refusal perhaps to accept the meaningful differences between cannabinoids and cannabis and also the cannabinoids of today and cannabis of today versus that which went before it. What will products look like, Alexa, moving forward? Well, I think we're going to see uh, certainly a more diverse uh, range of applications for cannabinoids, particularly as some of the minors such as CBG or CBC become available, uh, particularly via the use of biosynthetic cannabinoid production. So that will further diversify the, the portfolio um, that we see as in terms of which products uh, are available to, to consumers. On our side, you know, as we've talked about before, um, we are currently developing several skincare formulations uh, for this year. But beyond that, we are also uh, in the process of developing a range of topicals for uh, the movement or, or sports uh, space. We term it movement because we feel that everyone can move a little bit better, whether you're 18 or 80. There's always, uh, you know, a, a benefit to being more active or uh, improving um, that element of your lifestyle. And so we think that through uh, further research, uh, more engagement with uh, healthcare organizations, uh, industry KOLs, etc., we'll be able to learn more about the utility and the safety of cannabinoid ingredients for specific applications and end markets. And at the end of the day, this means that we can bring to market products that are specifically developed to address unique consumer concerns uh, and that these products will be scientifically validated to deliver on both safety and efficacy. And the beauty industry, Mallory, what does it look like in 12 months time? Well, in 12 months, I think we're going to see a lot more of CBD interacting with other beauty trends. We've already seen CBD pop up in so many trends that we're tracking well into 2021, like active life and workout recovery, sexual wellness, sun care, acne care, body care, and Nutra Cosmetics, only to name a few. But going forward, by the end of 2021, I'm really looking forward to some interesting intersections between CBD and trends like K-Beauty, like the upcoming launch of Jinju Labs CBD K-Beauty line. I also love the look of Kristen Bell's uh, vegan CBD line, Happy Dance, which is, quote, made with moms in mind, which really speaks to the important need for nurturing stressed out moms dealing with pandemic anxiety. So overall, I see 2021 as a fascinating year of growth for CBD beauty, as it has the unique opportunity to move past stagnant market saturation and develop exciting trend-focused products. 
And on that note, I would like to thank all my guests, Stephen, Alexis, Alexa, and Mallory for joining me today and to you for listening. Thank you.